0: So, we're going to read James 1, 21. So, get rid of all uncleanness and the r- rampant outgrowth of wickedness, and in a humble spirit receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely listeners to it betraying yourselves into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it and being a doer of it, he's like a man who looks carefully at his own natural face in a mirror, and he thoughtfully observes himself, and then he goes off and promptly forgets what he was like. But he who looks carefully into the faultless law of liberty and is faithful to it and perseveres into looking into it, being not a heedless listener who forgets, but an active doer who obeys, he shall be blessed in all that he does. Why am I bringing that up? How many talks have you heard? Sermons have you heard? etc., etc.? and it all sounds like a really good idea at the time, and you take a look and you get conviction or you get encouragement or you get exhortation or you get a clarion call or whatever it is, and then you leave the room. You've stopped looking in the mirror and you completely forget and go on with your life now i'm not saying that as a criticism i'm saying that as an invitation and every time i speak that's my heart i just don't want to be one babbling with a bunch of words i really pray that what the lord says through me to your spirit spirit to spirit spirit to spirit will land and then it will be planted and that it will be watered, and that it will be grow, it will be grow, that it will grow into an oak of righteousness, not just another nice message. So that's my heart. I was going to talk with you, and still am going to talk with you, about pressing in and pressing through, and I found our worship this morning just kind of perfect for where we're going to go. So Saturday morning, I woke up at about 4.44, <laughs> not at about, it was 4.44, still asking the Lord about that, and I heard him say, it's time to war. That's how he talks to me. I wake up and he gives me one sentence with an exclamation point at the end of it, and that was it. So it got my attention, and I had just been asking him about you guys, and that's what he said, it's time War. Now, I want to add to that something that the Lord had awakened me another night quite a while back. And I saw this vision of a lion. And I knew it was the Lion of Judah. And I'm just looking at this lion who was just laying there very calmly, very serenely, looking around. And all of a sudden, I heard the Lord say, I'm getting ready to roar. Now, that's not new. You've heard that numerous times. I heard this years ago. I'm getting ready to roar. But then he said, and I'm going to bear my teeth. And I'm thinking, what does that have to do with anything? So I did some research about what that means when a lion bears its teeth. It's typically a female lion when they are in the reproduction cycle, And I thought, Lord, why are you telling me you're going to bear your teeth? He has been waiting and is exposing and bringing forth what the earth has been groaning for, which are the true sons and daughters, which is what we are. And we can't forget that. We can't forget that. So I'm going to be... I promise it will all tie together, but I'm a little bit all over the place. Um, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have had a prophetic word about a calling over your life? Raise your hand if you have. I knew it. Almost every single person in this room. And how many of you would say that it was a lofty word, and you're like, what am I going to do with that kind of a lofty word? I'm so happy for you, and I'm also that's exactly what I want to talk to you about today, because when we get a prophetic word like that, we either run because it seems too big, or we start placing expectations on it, and we get impatient with it. Does that make sense? How many of you in the room have actually kind of run from your prophetic word? There you go. There's some reality. How many of you have actually gotten impatient because it's like, Lord, when is this going to happen? A little of both. (laughs) You've been on both sides of that. Can I ask you, can I encourage you to just put all that aside? And as Gary Black said a couple of weeks ago or whenever he was here about resting, God is watching over his word, and he will perform it. He will perform it and he will perform it in the right season. Our job is to press in and press through. So what does that have to do with warring and and prophetic words? I'm tying this all together. We are in a war. We are in a war. And because we are in a war, there are a lot of preparational steps that have to take place in this war. Our prophetic word is a part of it. But what ends up happening is we get so tied up with whatever that prophetic word is, that we lose, um, I'll say, attention to the dailies of life? Let's think about that for a minute. Well, first of all, I want to turn with you to 2 Kings 5, please. This is about Naaman. I'm sure you've all heard this story before, but I want to read it. And again, I'm reading from the Amplified. Sorry, it's a little wordier, but it's my favorite, favorite version of the Bible. Verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master. He was accepted because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. But he was a leper. The Syrians had gone out in bands and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his king. Thus and thus said the maid from Israel. And the king of Israel said, Go now and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. It said, when this letter comes to you, I will with it have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he rent his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends to me to heal a man of his leprosy? Just consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. And when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, he sent to the king, asking, Why have you rent your clothes? Let Naaman now come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stopped at Elisha's door. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? can I just wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and said to him, My father, if the prophet had bid you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much rather that when he says to you, wash and be clean. So we went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, as the man of God had said, and his flesh was restored. And then it goes on, and he says he's going to always serve the Lord. But the point that I want to make here is when we get a lofty prophecy, it's easy to get offended when it doesn't look the way we want it to look in the time that we want it to look in the way we think it's going to look, and we can get a little bit indignant, just like Naaman did. (coughs) Does that make sense? We want to guard against that and be careful to not do that. So I I really want to encourage you to manage your expectations and keep your focus on the Lord Jesus right in front of your eyes and your heart. And as you follow him in that place of rest instead of that um, place of clamor, you will find that a 1,000 will fall on one side, 10,000 will fall on the other side, and in the right timing, the doors will open. Now, that sounds contradictory because the talk is about pressing in and pressing through. What tends to happen is we end up partnering with disappointment, and then, what do we do? We give up. We retreat. We stop. We lick our wounds. We get mad at God. And then, he gets a hold of our heart again and we start over. So we're going, brrm, For people on the podcast, I'm using my hand just showing forward and back, forward and back. That's what we do. And every time we do that, it gets a little harder to start again. You know that scientific, scientific principle of inertia? A body in motion stays in motion. Our job as soldiers in God's kingdom, and we're not just soldiers, and I want to talk about that today if we have time, is to keep putting one step in front of the other. That's all that's expected of us. Keep putting one foot in front of another. While you're putting one foot in front of the other, you might have to clean a few toilets. You know what I mean? You just might need to clean a few toilets. And, ev- and ask my husband. I hate cleaning, so that's really a good metaphor for me because I hate cleaning. So, but, but as I'm cleaning, that's not something that is separate from my call. It's included with my call. And as I'm cleaning the toilets, I can still be talking to the Lord. He is still imparting things no matter what we're doing. And what's happening is we're being filled, and we're being filled, and we're being filled, and we're being prepared to overflow. So that when that door opens, we are ready. Think about Jesus as an example. My goodness, the creator of the universe, by the power of his word, everything was formed. He holds everything together with the power of his word. He comes as a baby in a manger. He knows what his job is. It's a very lofty job. It takes 30 years of preparation. 30 years of preparation of of anybody who would feel like, oh, my goodness, life is just mundane. It would be Jesus, right? Right? Think about Moses. He's supposed to deliver his people. What happens? He ends up out in the field with the sheep. <laughs> for, for how many years? And he could easily be going, what, what, what? I'm supposed to be delivering Israel, da, 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 da. There was preparation that needed to take place. The same with David. They call him in from the fields because none of the other brothers were the right brother. Samuel anoints him with oil. What happens? He becau- he's anointed as king. What happens? He ends up back out in the field. While he's out there, what happens? He's killing lions with his bare hands, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? Right? Every bit of that was preparation. So I just want to encourage you to don't despise this and look for the Jesus in every opportunity. Silly example, you know. At Christmas time, I thought I wanted to sit, but I don't. Christmas time. We have a lot of people in our family that aren't following the Lord right now. They're either pre-Christians or prodigals or a little of both. And I'm thinking, how am I going to acknowledge Jesus in the midst of this celebration? And so... I wanted to do something different, and it ended up not being different, but God made it different. It was so fun. I decided to just read Luke 2, the account of the Christmas story. And then after, I just decided d- the Lord said, play this play Al's favorite Christmas song, which is Mary Did You Know. And at the end of the Christmas story, Mary is say that the, the story says she was pondering these things in her heart. And then um Uh, And so she was pondering things in her heart, and that's what that whole Mary Did You Know song was about. So I get started, and I've got my phone in my hand because I'm reading out of I forget what translation. And our little two-year-old grandson is starting to act up, kind of like what we're hearing downstairs. They're not acting up. There's just noise. And so he starts being noisy, so I stick him on my lap. I say, Mary, come sit on Grandma's lap, and we're going to read a story. So he comes over, and he sits on my lap. And I start reading no pictures, just the story with this phone in my hand. And as I'm reading the story, Merrick, who does not come from a Christian home at all, is going, yeah, yeah, peace on earth, that's right, yeah. And it was the cutest thing because God used Merrick to keep everybody's attention to the Christmas account. So then we get to Mary, did you know? And I've got this child in my lap, and I'm worshiping. And I've got his arm. I've got a phone in one hand and his arm in the other. And I'm worshiping. And at the end, when it says, the great I am, my hand is up. His hand is up. I don't care what else was going on in that room. We were worshiping. Why am I telling you that story? Many of you have young children. And in the dailies of life, I, you talked about this on yours About Hope, when you've changed the umpteenth diaper or you've been up all night or whatever it is, it's hard, it's easy to lose sight of the calling on your life. Don't let the Lord rob you. Look for, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but we forget. Look for him in the midst of it and let him take what seems mundane and turn it into a moment with the Lord. I remember when I used to do Christian coaching, I had this young mother who was frustrated as all get-out because she never could find time for a quiet time. And she was getting stuck on quiet time. And out of my mouth comes, who says quiet time has to be quiet? And she goes, Know, she's like, what do you mean quiet time doesn't have to be quiet? And I said, what if you included your child in it? She never thought about that. So that's what she did. And the next time we met, she was so excited. Because she did what I did with Merrick on Christmas. And after it was all done, she said, it was so exciting. She goes, you know what my little guy said? She kept go- he, he kept saying, more mommy, more mommy, more mommy. And he was totally engaged in it. Slight little shift, but don't despise the mundane. Bring Holy Spirit into the mundane. Because every single bit of that is part of your preparation for the big. So that's part one of what I want to say about pressing in and pressing through. Part two of what I want to say is the Lord gave me four words last year. And I've been pondering these four words for a while. Hi, Pumpkin. She's just grinning at me. Um, And, you know, it's funny. I know it's the Lord because I don't usually think in alliteration. And I don't try to be that clever. But these are four P words. The words are plow, purge, purify, and plunder. Plow, purge, purify and plunder. And I felt like that was a call from the Lord and an encouragement from the Lord that no matter what we're doing that we are to be conscious of those four words. Now in Western thinking we think really linearly, don't we? And so we want this to be okay. We plow for a while and then we purge and then we purify and then we plunder. Some of it could be linear, But many times it's circular. And a couple of things that I'm going to talk about today are circular. We do all of these things all these times in different ways, in different areas of our life. I'm going to speak about them linearly, but I want you to hold on to the fact that it's not always quite that clean. So let's talk about plowing for a minute. How many of you have felt like you've been in a really hard season in this past year? Most of you. How many of you feel like you've been in an easy season? Nobody. All right. (laughs) Welcome to the world, right? You know, In this world, we're going to have lots of tribulation. Luke 9.62 says, He who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you first hear that, that sounds like a downer, doesn't it? Well, I'm disqualified because I didn't keep my hand to the plow. I don't think that's what the Lord is saying. I think what the Lord is saying, as you plow, you are getting fit. You are exercising new muscles. And if you stop and you turn back, then you have to start all over again. And every bit of progress you made as you were lifting those weenie weights of plowing, they're not weenie, but as you're lifting those weights, you start back at ground zero. And frankly, half the time you lose ground you see what I mean? So don't look at that scripture as um, condemnation. Look at that scripture as invitation to keep plowing. If you don't plow, you never get to the other side. You never get to the other side. So think about plowing. It is hard work. But it's building your muscles, as I said, and every bit of that plowing helps you to stand strong. We s- sung about that this morning. I will not be shaken. As you exercise those muscles, you just become less shaken. I think it was Gary that talked about that thin line, and he talked about resting and not being shaken or something like that. He didn't use that term, but he did talk about that. I'm going, So anyway, don't make the plowing wrong and don't turn I'm telling you, this Christian walk sometimes is literally just one step in front of the other. So, as you're plowing, there are times when you will rest. Resting is not retreating. There's a difference. Resting is not retreating. When... Jesus th- is a beautiful example of that. You know, he sends the, the 72 out. He sends the, the disciples go out. But let's talk about the 72. He sends them out. They come back. They're all excited. Demons bow to, to what they were doing, et cetera, et cetera. What does Jesus say after that? Good work, now come with me. Good work, now come with me. So Jesus taught about rest. Another example that I love. Well, there's a couple. It cracks me up when Jesus told Peter to get him a boat. You know how the crowds were just clamoring around him all the time? (laughs) So he says, Get me a boat. So all the people are on the land, and Jesus goes out into the boat, and he's sitting in the boat and he's talking to the people. He needed space. So he took the space, but he didn't retreat. Do you see what I'm saying? So there was rest there, but he didn't retreat. Resting doesn't mean retreating. Another example. Jesus, he gets finished teaching, and he tells Je- he tells the disciples, "I'm going to get in the boat, and I'm going to go to the other side of the lake. Meet me over there." He's by himself in this boat. He goes to the other side of the of the lake. He gets out. The crowds all ran over. And you know that's a big lake. How many of you have been in Israel? Nobody. It's a big lake. So. <laughs> So he takes the boat over to the other side. Everybody else is running. He gets out of the boat. The crowds are there. But they're clamoring. And Jesus says he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Do you know, that used to be my life verse. And it almost killed me. Because I kept thinking I needed to be like Jesus. And I just need to pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out because the crowds are there and I need to have compassion on them. And I was burning out. I was just flat burning out because I forgot the part before that where Jesus taught his disciples to rest. And the entire time that Jesus was in that boat, what was he doing? He was resting, he was talking to his father, he was getting refilled. So by the time he got out and saw those people, he was able to have true compassion because he was refilled. But I want to repeat it. Resting is not retreating. Resting is not hiding. So you plow, you rest, then you plow some more, and you rest, and you plow some more, and you rest until you get to the end of the plowing. That's the first part. What are you plowing for? To make inroads, to take territory in the spiritual places. You're taking territory. That is hard work when you're taking territory. But you're not finished after the plowing is done. Then you have to purge the land, right? What does purging mean? I'm going to give you an exe- d- definition. Let me see if I can find it. Purging. It means getting rid of an unwanted quality, condition, or feeling. So you already can see where I'm going with this. There's plowing in the natural. There's plowing in the spiritual. There's plowing in the emotional. And in all three areas, you just want to keep going. After you've plowed and made room, you want to purge. You want to get rid of the unwanted things in your life or in your space. It could be decluttering your house but it can also be decluttering your heart. And we need to do both. And then I wanna, I'm gonna go through this quickly because I really wanna get to some other things. I'm feeling like some of what I'm doing today, I'm just kind of laying, not a foundation, but a next level or a framework. And you guys can take some of this and go even further with it. So I'm just gonna kind of carry on. So we talked about plowing. We talked about purging. Now I want to talk about purifying. After you, Let's say you're plowing and you've got a lot of weeds in your garden. If you don't get all those weeds out, what happens in the natural? They come back, and they multiply. Now, doesn't that same thing happen in the spiritual? If we don't root out the root, hello, it comes back and it brings friends. And we just need to start having a zero-toleration policy on that. And I'm going to give you some ways to do that by the end of our talk today. So the purging part is pulling out the weeds. The purifying part is replacing that with something better suited for you. Does that make sense? So let's, t- let's talk about it in the natural. You declutter, then what do you do? You clean, don't you? You clean. You put bev- everything back in order. In the spiritual, if you're decluttering your inner world, you don't just declutter, you must clean, or it all comes back again. So what does that look like? That looks like Philippians 4.8. Let's turn to Philippians 4.8 for a minute. You probably already know that scripture by heart. It's the one where you're to think on that which is lovely and that which is good, but let's read it anyway. Philippians 4.8, for the, re- uh, do I want to go earlier than that? Don't be, don't fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your request known to God and God's peace will be yours that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, so not fearing anything and being content with its earthly lot, whatever that is, so that the peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds. For the rest, here's the purifying part, Brethren, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of reverence, whatever is honorable and seemly, Whatever is just, pure, lovely, lovable, kind, winsome, gracious. If there is any virtue and excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on, weigh, and take account of these things. Fix your minds on them. That's the purifying part. Do you know the battle is mostly in our minds? The battle is mostly in our minds and if at any moment in your life you are not present in your own spirit to the fruits of the spirit you're not experiencing love joy peace patience kindness i can guarantee you that you are having a battle in your mind and the enemy is doing his went went and you have lost your peace Who's in charge of getting that back? You are. You are. And it's very easy to do if you'll take your authority over it. And it's this Philippians 4, 8 thing. So you stop right then. And this is a so-so thing. But you stop right then and you ask the Lord a couple of things. Is there anyone I need to forgive? Perhaps you've been offended by somebody. Do not tolerate that get that out of there maybe somehow you just got slimed and you became under the influence of a lie ask the lord what lie am i believing right now and if he tells you you're believing a lie either about yourself or about your circumstance or about him you take a stand and you renounce that right then and there i'm telling you people we tolerate much more than we need to we tolerate much more than we need to. And that's why we keep falling and tripping up. And then when you hear a truth, you want to rene- declare that truth. So uh, I'm go- now, Lord, or later, I'm going to say something about declarations later. So that's yours to do. Is to think on that which is lovely, and all of those things in Philippians four eight. Another why th- way that you need to purify is in James 4.8. eight. They're both four eights, isn't that interesting? Okay. And James four eight says, "Come close to God, and He will come close to you." Recognize that you're sinners. Get your soiled hands clean. Realize that you've been disloyal, wavering individuals with divided interests and purify your hearts of your spiritual adultery. And then it goes on from there. Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. He'll lift you up and make your lives significant. That comes full circle back to the big prophecies we've had over our lives. But before we get to do that, we have to do all these other things. We must plow. We must purge. We must purify. We have to have a zero-toleration policy for anything that doesn't look like Jesus. We have to have a zero-toleration policy for anything that doesn't look like Jesus. And I'm telling you, we can't afford anymore to tolerate because you've heard it all over time, is getting short, we all feel it. We also know there's a lot of acceleration going on. We have a heritage of children that, that we can't be, we can't afford anymore to be wobbling around like we used to, we just can't. I could say so much more about this, but there's more that I want to share And then the day comes when we have practiced, we have kept taking step after step, we have purged, we have purified. That is when we have the right to plunder. The places where you have endured and gone through the battle and gotten to the other side is the very place where you're going to have an authority that you want but don't have yet. And I want you to think with me about the Old Testament. This used to really upset me. I'd read the Old Testament, and I'd see how God would say, take your army and go in and just annihilate everybody, kill women, children, everybody, cows, horses. He didn't say that, but you know. It was just annihilate everything. And I used to think, what, what an angry, harsh God he is. And I kept asking him about it and asking him. I was like a dog with a bone. I wouldn't stop (coughs) till I got an answer. And finally I realized what it was. In those days and even now, in those days what God was doing was plowing, purging, purifying, and then plundering. And if there was Anything left because it was so dark and so evil and so demonic. And you had the Nephilim there, however you say that. There was so much going on. He had to have it wiped out because if he didn't have it all wiped out, it would all just grow back up again. And then what would he say? Go in and plunder. Now, that's going to bring me to the war part. I want to remind you hmm, of who you are. What time is it? I want to remind you of who you are. And it's another place where you have to think more circularly than linearly. Jesus says that you are a child of god right we are children of god and scripture says unless you become like a little child you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven that sounds so contradictory to everything i just said plowing and purging and purifying and plundering can a child do that no but a child trusts a child asks umpteen thousand questions a child forgives easily, right? That's what a child does. But Jesus also says, or Jesus doesn't, it, it's in Hebrews, that we have to put off childish ways. So we're not allowed to stay a child. We enter the kingdom of God as a child, right? But we don't stay as a child. Children, the good side of the child is that they ask a lot of questions, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. The weak side of a child is that they're needy. Mm. We need to grow up. Yeah, good. We need to grow up. And we need to stop running here, there, and everywhere for answers. Uh, sorry. Sorry we need to run to the one with the answers. The disciples said, where else can we go? You have words of life. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. So we get to remain children because children have that childlike faith. They ask a lot of questions. But we want to cast down the neediness we also are a son and a daughter. So, let's think about that from Galatians. Look at Galatians 4. You know, this is interesting. I, I don't look for a demon behind every bush, but I'm really aware that there's the demonic. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling really fuzzy so I know this is exactly where the Lord wants us to go is where I'm going right now so I thank you Lord that I have the mind of Christ and you make the rough places plain and I rebuke any thwarting spirit that's wanting to confuse or confound in Jesus name All right. so Galatians 4 did you notice how I didn't yell and scream? There's no reason to. We either are who we are or we're not, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. Oh, I'm back. That left really quickly. (laughs) Okay, anyway, so Galatians 4. Now, what I mean is that as long as the inheritor is a child and underage, what we just talked about, he doesn't differ from a slave, although he's actually the master of the house. But he's under a guardian and administrators until the fixed date by his father. So we also, when we were minors, we were kept like slaves. Subject to the elementary teachings of a system of external observations and regulations. But when the proper time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born subject to the regulation of the law, to purchase freedom so that we might be adopted and have sonship conferred upon us. And because you really are his sons, God sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave. You're a son. And as a son, it follows that you are an heir through Christ. This is not new news. I know you know this, but we forget it. And we still act like children. And then in Hebrews, it says, come on. I'm so paraphrasing. In Hebrews 6, it says, come on. It's time for us to get beyond the elementary teachings of the washing of the hands and the rituals and the baptism and all. Come on, people. Let's go. Let's go. And I know you've heard that before. But I'm just here to remind you of that that we want to carry the childlikeness of that childlike faith with us, but we want to remember that we're also a son. And as a son, we are co-heir with Jesus, and everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. Do we know this all the time? No. But if we keep Jesus right in front of our face, and we do stay like a child and keep asking him questions, he will answer. He will give us perspective, but it's our job to keep asking the questions. It's our job to keep asking the questions. We carry the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, we also we also carry the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of that because I think sometimes we quickly fall out of the authority that we carry. In Ephesians 1, I'm throwing out a lot of scripture and you can go back and listen to the podcast and look at this stuff more more carefully. Ephesians 1 is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Those of you who have been to Sozo training, you've heard me share all this sorry I'm going to be sharing it again but this is when I really start preaching anyway we'll start at verse 17 for I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep intimate knowledge of him all right we're talking about sonship and inheritance and the authority we have in a minute we're going to talk about being a friend of Jesus And because we're a friend of Jesus, he tells his secrets to his friends. Those are those mysteries. Those are those secrets. Do you see how it can't be linear? It's circular. So that mentions the fact that we're a friend. But let's keep going. Verse 18. By having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you. And how rich is his inheritance. We have no clue of every aspect of our inheritance. But we can ask for more information, so that you can know the immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing greatness of his power in us and for us, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. And he has put all things under his feet and has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church, which is his body, and it goes on. Now, this is a silly question, but I do this every time I talk about this. I want you to picture this with me. That All those scriptures say that we have resurrection power. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in us and for us. So it lives within us, right? Sometimes we forget that. But it lives within us. That's truth, whether we believe it or not, that's still truth. And then it goes on to say, and God raised Jesus up by that resurrection power, and he put all things under his feet. Yes? So everything is under Jesus' feet. So then he says, Jesus is appointed head of the church, which is his body. So I want you to picture this with me. Picture Jesus in heaven. Can you be Father God for a minute? Okay. (laughs) Here is Father God. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of Father God in heavenly places where the earth is his footstool. I'm Jesus. This is Father God. Now, this is silly, but we need to get this. Is it just Jesus' head that's sitting up in heaven next to the right hand of Father God? No. It's his entire body. Who is his body? We are his body. Thank you, Father God. We are his body. So if we are hidden in Jesus in bodily form and he's seated in heavenly places and the earth is his footstool, Psalms says the earth is our footstool too. It is not our footstool if we forget who we are and where we're placed. If we forget who we are, whose we are, and what we carry, we are sitting ducks. We're sitting ducks ducks. The truth is we're hidden in Jesus in heavenly places and the earth is our footstool. Yes, things can get in the way. That's why we plow, we purge, we purify. And then we can plunder. Is this making sense? Now, I want to take this a step further. Colossians 2, 9, and 10. Go with me to that again. Not again. Just go with me to that. I go there all the time. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> For in Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. We're talking about Jesus when he was walking on the earth. Here's the verse. But you are in him. Everybody say, I am in him. You are made full and have come to fullness of life. Everybody say that. I've been made full. I have come to fullness of life. Get this. It's in the Amplified. In Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not just we prayed a little prayer and we asked Jesus into our hearts that says we remained as a child. The fullness of the Godhead lives within us. We don't have to clamor out here all the time saying "Fill fill me, 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 and act like a bunch of orphan beggars. We have the fullness of the Godhead living within us. All we have to do is tune in. All we have to do is remember where we are. So what a gorgeous picture this is, people. We are hidden in Jesus, in heaven, <laughs> in heavenly places, and yet we are also filled with the fullness of the Godhead. So when we walk around, I'm not sound. I, this almost sounds blasphemous, but we really d- we're little Jesuses. We are. We carry Jesus, and we're covered in Jesus, and we forget that. And every place that we put our feet, the land. The atmosphere must submit, but not if we don't remember who we are. Yeah. We've, that's ours. So if we, now, uh, bleh, if we allow those niggles in our head, those lies that I talked about earlier, to win, we forget all of that. You can do this battle all day long. And let me tell you something. The more that you increase your intolerance of all of this, the less you have to deal with it. The enemy will only keep picking on you if you let him. If you let him. I'm going to ju- push the pause button. In Sozo, I say this all the time. You know, the old deliverance style is you expect the demonic this and that to show up and everybody's throwing up in the bucket and they're manifesting all over the place and blah, blah, blah. Drives me nuts. And I, that's how I was first trained. In inner healing ministry, was that you know, talking to the demons and na 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 na. You know what? If you want to have a show with the demons, you'll get one. You'll get one. But if again, I'll say it again. If you know who you are, whose you are, and what you carry, let me tell you, they have to flee because you walked into the room. So, we're a child. We're also a son. We've inherited his authority. We've inherited his name. We're also a friend. And Jesus says, he reveals his secrets to his friends. If any of you are under the lie that everybody else hears from the Lord more than you do, shut that lie down. Shut that lie down. And when you read the scriptures, you expect that God's going to speak to you, and he will. Expect that he's going to speak to you. And uh, if he's not communicating to your heart, another example of where you want to keep pressing in. We give up, we shut the Bible, and we believe the lie again. Keep pressing in until you get an answer because the very place where you get a revelation from the Lord is the very place where you're going to have a voice. Stop running around looking from a, for a prophetic word from everybody under the sun. Now I honor the prophetic. I have a real heart for the prophetic. I, b- I have a dream to start a prophetic company here and blah, 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 blah. I am not despising the prophetic. But what I am saying is we're so busy looking for all the rock star prophetic words hmm. Hmm. that we are not getting into the word ourselves. And people, we don't want to be an echo of what everybody else is saying. We want to be a voice. We want to hear the secrets from the throne room for ourselves. That's where the power is. That's where the revelation is. That's where the conviction is. And that's where the, I don't even know what the word is, the anointing comes. Do you feel it? I can feel it in the room right now. I'm like, do so, you feel it? That's where the anointing comes because you know that you know that you know that you know in your own heart, not because somebody else told you. All right. Next. (laughs) So we're a child. We're a son. We're a friend. And we're a warrior. And we're also the bride of Christ. I can't take credit for this quote. I just got finished saying how you want to be a voice, not an echo, and I'm getting ready to echo. But it was so good I have to echo. This fellow, his name is Dean Briggs. And he said, Intimacy may be what moves God's heart. And we want to be the bride of Christ. We want to have that intimate connection, we want to be a lover. Of Jesus, and we want Him to be the lover of our soul. Back to the quote Intimacy may be what moves God's heart, but dominion gives Him honor. Yeah. We've been in a move for a long time of um, pressing in for the presence of the Lord. There's nothing I love more. Ask my husband. I, s- I spend hours just, I there's nothing I love more. But lately, Jesus has been giving me of this picture of, okay, we've got that now. We get that we're surrounded by Him. We're covered in Him. We carry Him. How much more intimate can it be? You know? He's here. That's what Scripture says. He's with us. All those things we just talked about. But I keep seeing Jesus standing out there. He's out there. He's also here because He can be both but he's out there, and he's saying, come with me. And the thing that I'm, what he's showing me is he's standing out there, and because we can look at Jesus standing further out, he's giving us a broader view of what he's up to. If he's still just right here, we miss the broader view. It's the broader view out there as he's moving and we follow where we get strategies where the secrets get revealed, where he starts guiding us with his eye. Is that making sense to you guys? So there's a lot here. There's a lot here. So I'm going to repeat it. We're going to plow. We're going to purge. We're going to purify so that the day can come when we plunder, and that day is around the corner. It's already starting, and that's the advancing of the kingdom. As we do that, we remember that we're a child. We're also a friend. No, I'm sorry, we're a son, and we're a friend, and we're a warrior. So I just, and we're a bride. I want to give you a clarion call to become a warrior. That sounds lofty. But you're a warrior when you're changing those diapers. And you're a warrior when you're standing in front like I am right now. And you're a warrior when you're in a prayer group. And you're a warrior when you're in the coffee shop. You're also a lover. You're both. And you just can't forget it. Whatever season you're in, you are still all of these things. All of these things. Do I need to remind you of what all of our weapons or warfare are? Do I need to do that? Lord, do I need to do that? I'm just going to run through them real quickly. There are many more. Our weapons of warfare are the name of. And the blood of Jesus, one of the major, not major, but one that the one that I think we forget is what I already talked about, and that is the presence of the Godhead in us and around us. When we lose that, we lose mm, our position. The authority of Jesus, I already talked about that, Did you know laughter is a weapon of warfare? Did you know that? I have to tell you a funny story. Oh my gosh. There was this time, oh, you know how you have stuff happen and you get upset and people disappoint you or they misunderstand you or they say rotten things about you. Well, this happened to me. So I had a friend over, this was in England, and I was just ranting, and then you know what else happened? And this happened and she said this and blah, 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 you know, just whining. And the gal sitting on the couch all of a sudden just starts laughing, hilariously laughing. She just looked at me and she just started laughing. And it was contagious. And then I started laughing. And if we had had room in the house, we would have been rolling on the floor. We were laughing so hard. But let me tell you something. That whole atmosphere broke because of laughter. So that is a weapon of warfare. I'm not saying manufacture it, but I'm saying let it bubble up. Another weapon of warfare is forgiveness. Please don't hold on to grudges. Please don't. That's one area where we all need to grow up. And we need to understand people have a bad day. And frankly, get our little eyes off of us. Mm. Just trusting that we're all on a journey... (laughs) We all don't get it right all the time. So forgive quickly because we don't want to be handed over to the jailer. I don't think I really need to go in, You're all agreeing with me, but let's practice it. Let's practice it. It's one thing. You don't know it until you live it. Hmm? You don't know it until you live it. So it's time to take what we know and to put it into practice. There's a weapon of warfare right there. Repentance. Don't tolerate Don't tolerate sin in your heart. Just don't. It's just not worth it. We don't have time. We don't have time. Um, I already told you about exchanging lies for truth. Have a zero-toleration policy on not being present to the fruit of the spirit in your own spirit. If you're not, something is wrong. Get it out of there. Get it out of there. Fasting. Everybody's least favorite thing. But if you really do want to break through, fast. And, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, I mean, I know the scripture says uh, in Isaiah about your your fasting needs to be, I'm so paraphrasing, loving people, serving, da-da-da-da-da, that scripture. But I've been thinking a lot about fasting because we do a lot of, oh, let's fast Facebook and let's fast this and let's fast that. Yeah, negative thoughts. All of that is good. But a biblical fast is no food. It just is. So, And that's probably one of the hardest things for us to do is the no food part. But I just want to encourage you to practice fasting. Another weapon of warfare is humility. Did you know that? You go low so he can go high. If we come from a place, ask the Lord, to give you more humility. I know we're afraid to ask that because we're afraid he's just gonna pounce on us, but that's not his heart. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So when you're asking for humility, you're gonna get more grace. Another weapon of warfare is the word. And this is what I wanted to say about declaring. And I'll just confess to you, for years I had a hard time with the whole issue of declarations. But you know why? Partially because the New Agers use declarations. I, had, I used to have a weight management clinic. And I d- worked with this woman. She was shorter than I was and she probably weighed close to 300 pounds. Bless her heart. She, she really struggled. And she'd, stand, he'd, she'd look in the mirror every morning and she'd declare, I'm 120 pounds and I'm whatever, whatever, whatever. And she would just declare in the mirror who she really was. Well, that was just wishful thinking. That wasn't based on anything. I just want to suggest to you that we do that in Christian circles as well. We declare, but it's from the flesh. It's based on what we want. It's not based on what the Word of God says. There's another place where we can't afford it anymore. We have got to find a way to be in the Word. I already said that. But I'm telling you, that's your biggest weapon. Because when the enemy comes at you with the rant, 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 just like Jesus did and you respond back with the truth from the word of God, it has to flee because his word is truth, right? Okay, so those are your weapons of warfare. So I just want to repeat everything that I said. It's time to war. God is asking us to press in and press through and not retreat. Resting is not retreating. You are to plow. Every piece of your life that is fallow needs to be plowed. You need to purge, you need to plunder, I'm sorry, you need to plur- purge, you need to purify, and you need to plunder. The other thing that we talked about today is to remember who you are, whose you are, and what you carry. You are a child, you are a son. You are a friend, you are a warrior, and you are a bride. You're all those things all of the time. So I don't really feel a ministry time. I just feel like I need to pray and ask the Lord to seal what we talked about and to show you more. So, Lord, that's what I am doing right now, Father, I pray. That you would plant deeply in the good soil of their heart. The truths that you want them to go away with today. And as you plant those seeds in their heart, I am asking that you would begin to push out anything in their heart that doesn't belong there. May these seeds be so big as they're planted in their heart that there's no room for anything else. I ask you, Lord, that you would increase their hunger to spend more time with you. And Lord, I thank you that you're an efficient God and that this doesn't have to be religious and that there's no condemnation when they haven't spent an hour in the Word, that you can give them one piece of your Word, the sword and it can divide bone and marrow. So I speak freedom over them, that they would not run away from the Word because they don't have time, but they would ingest quickly and deeply what you want to show them. Lord, I thank you that this is a group of people who are to become a voice, not an echo. But I also ask, Lord, that you would keep them patient with the process, that the lofty prophecies are true, but that they will open up in your time. In the meantime, Lord, I ask you to show them any prophetic words that they've been hanging on to that really weren't from you, that were um, actually from I call them an encouragement, but not really a prophetic word. I call them Mm procuragements. So, Lord, I ask that you would help them to sift through all that they've been carrying that they think is from you and show them clearly what was from your heart for their lives. So, Lord, I also pray that you would cause such, here's another weapon of warfare, an atmosphere and attitude of unity among this small band that they would, and that might be what we do, that they would truly stand shoulder to shoulder, that they would have each other's back, that they would have honor for each other, that they would keep short accounts with each other, that there would be a new level of vulnerability and safety, not so they just become a nice, comfy little group, but because you've got places where you want them to go. Lord, I pray that you would also increase their lack of tolerance for anything that doesn't look like you. And I ask even now that you would be working in their hearts to once and for all root whatever that is out of their life. I pray, Lord, that you would bring safe people into their life with who, and I'm praying that that's this group that they can be truly vulnerable with each other with no condemnation because you are not a God who condemns. You're a God who convicts and woos forward. So thank you what you're doing in and through this group. And I pray that you would just remind them to just take that next step, one little baby step. That's all you ask. In Jesus' name, amen.